All right, all right, here we go. It's episode 35 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined tonight by NBA betting expert Mackenzie Rivers. First round of the NBA playoffs are now underway. Mackenzie and I are going to give you guys some NBA wagers to beat your bookie on Wednesday. Now, we typically don't ask for, you know, personal questions here on this podcast, but Mackenzie, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a personal question. Not too much personal, but I am a little curious, you know, when did you actually fall in love with the NBA? It started in the All-Star game, believe it or not. I'd heard a little bit about the Sixers' Allen Iverson, and the game was in Philly. And I'd also heard a lot, uh, which I disapproved of, of the big bad Lakers and Kobe and Shaq and just how dominant the West was and so much better than the East. And sure enough, the West was up 20 early on and throughout the game in the All-Star break. And then in the fourth quarter, down 21 with Larry Brown as the coach. And he was a coach of the Sixers, and he was a coach of Allen Iverson. Led the most furious comeback. Ended up winning it at the buzzer, or, you know, in the final seconds. And I was up, standing up. I remember I was at my dad's house, standing up like it was the fucking NBA Finals. Like, biting my nails, just hoping, hoping that the East would hold on, which they did to it for a 121-120 to victory. That was back when... All-Star games had real scores that were actually in the realm of possibility of an NBA game. But it wasn't just then. It was it was throughout that whole you know spring, the Sixers playoff run, where they had the defensive player of the year in Dikembe Mutombo and the sixth man of the year, Aaron McKee, and my man, Allen Iverson, the MVP, along with the coach of the year, Larry Brown. That hadn't happened since the 1983 Sixers, so there was some like magical, you know, team of destiny going on here. They went seven twice, ended up beating the Bucks in seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then the coup de grace, the one moment that I will always remember as the crystallization of my basketball fanhood, it was the NBA Finals game one. Sixers get out to like a 20-point lead. I mean, they were like 15-point underdogs. There was no chance. I remember they asked this, the Sixers owner, like, okay, you just won the Eastern Conference Finals. And he's like, yeah, we're going to celebrate and, you know, we're going to go and we're going to play a really good team in the Lakers and we're just going to see what happens and, you know, but we're going to enjoy this. I mean, it was very clear that the Sixers owner had no imagination of, of winning even a game and, and neither did anybody else, but I did as an 11-year-old fan for my man, Alan Iverson, and he played a great game, an amazing game. He scored like 46 points in regulation and then they put Ty Lue on him. They brought him off the bench. This guy I had never heard of, Ty Lue was sticking him. He was... He was playing prevent defense. He was making it so you couldn't couldn't even get the ball. My man, the MVP, 46 points, was being denied. Couldn't even touch the ball as the Sixers' lead evaporated. And the Lakers, who had never lost, who hadn't lost a playoff game, they were about to go 16 and 0 or 15 and 0. It was back then, and set every record and bring my man Jordan's Bulls into conversation. Was is this team better than them? And which I didn't want to hear. So. It meant a lot to me. I wanted the Sixers to keep that lead, and they didn't. And it goes to overtime, and Dikembe Mutombo fouls out. Iverson still stuck on 40, 44 points or whatever it was. He couldn't get the ball, and then he hits a three. And that Lakers five-point lead in overtime goes down to two. Then he hits another bucket. 5-0 run just from Allen Iverson. He was dead in the water. And then that one shot crosses over. Ty Lue falls down. Swish. Lead reestablished for the good guys, the 76ers, 76ers up two, and they hold on to win. I, I, they, they lost the last four games pretty comfortably, 
But the Lakers, the 2001 Lakers, will never, ever can say that they went undefeated in the playoffs. They do not get that designation because of that one performance from the 76ers. And that was it. That was when I fell in love with the NBA. Wow, man. As you're sitting here talking, I'm sitting here closing my eyes, replaying that entire game in my head because Allen Iverson is probably my favorite NBA player of all time. And I remember that entire series, but I do remember that game, you know, with like Dallin Bear and, and McKee and Snow and that whole crew, man. Like they were, they were a good team, man. I, I think Allen Iverson probably, if you, if you ask me, is probably a top 25 player in the league um, all time. He just didn't have the he didn't have the longevity of his career, but man, that was an awesome series. That was an awesome series for me. I don't know, man. It's not that I fell in love, but I remember my dad woke me up one night. It might have been like eleven thirty at night or something like that. I was very young, and he was like, "Turn the TV on." He's like, "You're gonna see uh, the Lakers in Boston. The Lakers are gonna win the title." And oh, I guess he just wanted me to see because I was in sports at that time. He wanted me to see like you know the joy of winning and stuff like that. And it was magic, and those guys, like, the crowd was just roaring. It was crazy. Um, that was, like, my first real memory of, like, the NBA. But for me, it was funny. You mentioned Matumbo. For me, it was in 1994 when the Nuggets, the eight seed, they beat the Supersonics. And it was, like, you know, everybody was rooting for the little guy and really loved Matumbo. And then when he went to Philly, I was like, dude, it's like Matumbo. Like, I loved him even more. But, you know, watching that Nuggets team with Stith and, and Lafonso Ellis and that crew, um, just seeing them go and fight and kind of, uh, you know, and you'll never forget the image of Matumbo, you know, laying in the paint with the ball, uh, you know, when they upset the Supersonics in that series. But that was like when I really loved the NBA because I realized that, you know, that it was a super competitive, that, you know, anybody could win. And it was like, it was just, you know, it was just such a joy to watch, you know, rooting for an underdog team. And, and I actually, Mackenzie, is funny too like the Nuggets for a number of years. And um, the one team that I did not mind Allen Iverson going to was Denver. So it kind of all worked out in the end. But, yeah, man, I don't know, man. NBA is awesome. And we got an awesome playoffs going on right now. Some interesting games on Tuesday night. But we're going to get into Wednesday's card. And me and Mackenzie, we have a bunch of wagers for you. So we, we don't have any time to waste, Mackenzie. So let's go ahead and let's jump in. Let's start with the Nets and Celtics. That's going to be first game on. On Wednesday night, Celtics right now, they have a 1-0 lead. Uh, right now on the pregame.com game center, the Celtics are favored. Uh, minus three and a half, and we have a total in this game of 226. Crazy end there in game one. Jason Tatum beats the buzzer. Uh, goes ahead, he sinks the nets there. Brooklyn fought back, took a lead, and Kyrie Irving, you know, he basically went bonkers there in the fourth quarter. If you guys were watching the news today, Kyrie actually got a fine $50,000 uh, from the NBA for giving uh, the Boston fans the middle finger. I don't know, Mackenzie. How do you think that that behavior from Kyrie kind of affects the series, or do you, do you think maybe that it doesn't? I don't think it affects the series much. I think Kyrie Irving uh, will play, you know, similarly. If anything, I think on in the road games, his points might be it might be a little skewed because he is human. Nothing shuts MF or up than uh, what we used to call back in the park eyeing a guy, which is just you know you you don't think I can do this? Well, I just hit a thirty-five footer. So I think he might be a little more trigger-happy in these road games. We saw it with the 20 attempts, so 39 points. But I think if he if he hadn't been hitting everything, we, we might see even more attempts than that. So I think I think he scores more in adversity on the road. I would look for his over in the points. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think that Kyrie, in a sense, he might have actually been doing this on purpose 
because some players, they, they like to be razzed. But I think that it could be a negative for, for Boston going into this game is because, like, it was in the news. You know, Kyrie, you know, giving it to the fans, and it was like, ah, Kyrie got fined. So, you know, tomorrow it's like, yeah, we got you, man. Like, I, And I could see the fan base being so electric in the first quarter of this game where, yeah, they're rooting for the Celtics when they have the ball on offense. And they're they're giving it to Kyrie. They're giving him the business. So it's going to be like this constant frenzy. And I think maybe when the second quarter starts, that the the air just comes out of this balloon from the Celtics fans and quite possibly even the team. And there might be a little bit of value. You know, maybe going ahead and taking a look. You know, maybe at like the Nets in the second quarter or something like that. But I think that Kyrie doing this is is only a help. You know, for the Nets, because after this game, you know, they're going back home for two and they're probably going to love Kyrie um, in that game. But anyway, I just want to ask you a little bit about Kyrie and kind of what you thought about that situation. Why are we going to get into some bets here, McKenzie? I have one here. I have a player prop. I'm not sure what you have. We didn't exactly share notes for this game, but I'll let you go and rip a run. You got anything for this game? Yes, I do. Uh, They started for a portion of the second quarter. Nick Claxton on Jason Tatum, uh, the center on, you know, a guy that's listed at small forward sometimes is more really of a traditional shooting guard in that Kobe mold, likes to handle the ball, catch the ball on the wing and score. Well, when it centers on you, a lot of things, a lot of times you think scoring, but really what's going to happen most of the time is you're going to be able to get by a guy like that. And that's going to invite help. So I think when they throw a center on you, they're not really throwing a center on you. What they're doing is throwing their entire uh, defense on you in a in a way that, you know, the help's coming. And Tatum, to his credit, much like Kevin Durant early in his career, you know, he's continued to develop where he's actually, this is his highest season ever for Kevin Durant. So this isn't a, this isn't a once thing, but there was one big leap that Kevin Durant made as an all-around basketball player, which I think at 24, Jason Tatum is doing just that. You know, coming into this year, new coach, uh, Marcus Smart chirping, player-only meetings. The ball wasn't zipping like people thought it should. No one can say that right now. In April, Jason Tatum went from averaging you know about less than four assists to six assists in April, and he had six assists, seven assists actually in the first half against the Nets, the way they were playing him. So this is a long-winded way, but Jason Tatum over four and a half assists, minus 130 is my best bet uh, for this particular game. I mean, six out of the last seven, he's gotten there. And even if you take it all the way back to the all-star break, 12 out of the last 20, you know, right there, 12 out of 20, that will be a nice number at minus 130. But I think it's better than that for the matchup reasons and just what he's been asked to do recently and what kind of role he's grown into. So I like Jason Tatum over four and a half assists. I I actually like that as you're, as you're talking about that. You know, the one thing that I'm thinking about, is that he's going to be on the floor probably for probably close to 40 minutes in this game. You know, the longer you get him out there, more than likely the more assists that he's going to get. You know, and we see that in these playoff games where, you know, your number one guy or number two guy, those guys constantly have the ball. They're being asked to go out there and play, you know, 40, 45 minutes in the playoff game. Four and a half seems low. Just had eight in the last game. And sometimes I think that, you know, you end up getting these duplicate type of games just due to, it's the playoffs. Things change. Rotations change. You know, your minutes go up. You know, your handles end up, you know, getting increased. So, uh, like that one. Let me give you my prop play here, McKenzie. I like Kevin Durant over two and a half threes made. And you can get that at plus 125. You know, KD started out 
very slow in game number one. He shot five threes in the entire game, but it was just one in the first half. He shot three of his five in the fourth quarter. For me, it was just it's not a whole lot of versatility with him. Um, it, it's His shot selection was, in my opinion, was a little bit poor, You know, especially with the guy who has the ball in his hands a ton. I think KD could probably get up a bunch of shots in this game. It wouldn't shock me if he had like, you know, 25 or 30. And we know KD, you know, we know he can bomb from the outside. It's just sometimes a little bit tough with a guy like him, you know, when, you know, when, when that's going to happen. Like, is he going to, you know, launch up eight, 10 threes in a game? It's just, it's not easy to, to pick. I think that this could be that game because he struggled in game one and the Celtics defense, very good. And if KD's trying to get to that mid range, it's kind of like, well, we know what you're going to try to do here, dude. But the one thing he didn't show them in, in game one was, you know, when he could just pick and pop. Stay, Don't let that Celtics defense get on you and go ahead and, and get up some three-point shots and try to get in, you know, a little bit of a groove, whether it be from free throw line to mid-range or the three-point line. So I think KD ups his three-point attempts here. I think there's a chance that, you know, maybe we get one or two, maybe even three uh, before halftime and we cash this ticket. But I certainly think that his three-point attempts go up in this game because I believe that they have to. He can't go out there and score 19 points and expect to go on the road in Boston for game two and sneak out a win. Like He has to be able to score, and it's got to come from all over the floor. It just can't be you know that, that regular mid-range shot. So uh, I'll do that. I'm uh, laying a little bit here, but you know, KD over two and a half, threes at plus 125. Uh, that's what I'll do for that game. Let's jump over to the 76ers at the Raptors here. Uh, I don't know, McKenzie, 76ers look like they are the more dominant team in this series. They're up 2-0 right now. Uh, they will be heading on the road. 76ers favored in this game. You can get anywhere one and a half to uh, minus two on Philly. We have a total of 216 and a half in this one. What do you think, McKenzie, with this series? You think that, is there a potential that, that, that this ends up in a sweep or, or what? Can the Raptors even get a game from these guys? I think the sweep is very much on the table, particularly what both – Uh, sides of the aisle have been saying where Nick Nurse came out after game one and he said they tried to bully us they were more physical than us and they were going to challenge us to see if we were going to lay down or not and he said we're going to see we're going to see if we're going to lay down or not well in game two I don't know if they uh, decided this but they looked like they laid down pretty good you know especially they were down 15 coming out of half and what you expect, you know, like the Pelicans did game one, you know, you expect to see the fight at that point. Sixers had all the energy, had all got all the loose balls. Uh, you know, you complain about the refs. It's kind of a sign of the times usually when a team is, uh, you know, up against it. What's interesting about this particular matchup is the market is saying the Raptors have one last gasp in them and literally one last gasp because the Sixers, like you said, are two-point favorites. But this is one of those situations where a team down 0-2 at home is favored early in the game. They're a point and a half favorite right now in the first quarter and a point favorite in the first half. You know, you got to lay, you got to, uh, you get a little, you know, plus money in the first quarter laying one and a half. But think about that. Think about that. They're expected to get a lead and they're expected to lose it. So literally the talent is supposed to, is, you know, adds up to a loss. But this moment, this particular matchup in Toronto with that with that raucous crowd is expected to you know give them some life. I'm not sure I see that. I think if a team starts to wilt, uh, you know maybe they get a burst of energy at the very beginning of the game, but once that wears off, it might have a 
where you're even in a worse place where you've had that, you know, adrenaline rush and there's been no results. That's why I think uh, the Sixers might be the side to look at, particularly in the later stages of this game. Well, let's go ahead and tell our listeners what we did, because this was a wager. We both had a wager on this particular game. I like the Raptors in the first quarter. You like the Sixers in the second quarter. And we wanted to go ahead and talk about this so we can find out, are we canceling each other out? Do our plays make sense? And as we started to talk about this, it made a, it made more sense to us. And we were like, yeah, we, we actually really like these. So I went ahead. I took the Raptors in the first quarter. Minus 118 on the money line. Look, this is a desperation situation now for Toronto. They're down 0-2. Uh, Barnes is banged up. He's more than likely not going to play. Uh, Trent's been out the first two games. You got to wonder if he's you know feeling well enough or you know, if he can even go ahead and be inserted back into this lineup. He only played a couple minutes in the last game, and he ended up, you know, ended up having to take off. Toronto actually won the first quarter of the game against Philly. So, you know, there had to be something said, like, look, guys, like we need to go out there and try to punch these guys in the mouth, play our best basketball. Van Fleet was playing well. Siakam was playing well. But I fully expect, you know, the Raptors fan base to understand, you know, kind of what the situation is. It's 0-2. They were, the team's been gone. They're in Philadelphia. You know, they're getting it from, from that team. They're getting it from that fan base. And now it's our turn. Like, now we, now, now we have to go. We have to show up for our team. And I think that the Raptors, even though that, that they're down Barnes, I think Siakam, Van Fleet, uh, Anunobi, like, they can kind of set. Be like, you're in our house now. Now you guys want to punch us in, in your in your place and get all these calls. You know, they were calling uh, Harden and Embiid the bonus brothers. Like, I can see the Raptors getting calls here. I can see those players going out and playing the rear ends off to at least just given everything that they have. And the coaches just, you know, in, in the ear of the referees and, and, and the fans to be at full throat. So I, I, I actually like the Raptors here in the first quarter. I think they set the tone. I think they come out strong and look, Philly, they could be fat and happy McKenzie. Like I think, you know, the reason I asked you, if you think that the Raptors could even get a game is because I wonder if that's Philly's mindset is Philadelphia thinking, you know, we, we beat these guys convincingly Game one, game two, we're going to go in their house. We're probably going to get a game. We'll go back home. We'll end this whole series, you know, if they do drop a game. But I think Philly comes in fat and happy, you know, just ultimately confident. And I think that they overlook Toronto, the intensity in which they're going to play. And I think the Raptors probably end up beating them in the first quarter. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, McKenzie. I'm taking the Raptors in the first quarter, uh, minus the 118. And you like the Sixers in the second quarter. I'll let you go ahead and rip a run on that. What I like about it for the second quarter, though, is there's two ways I can win this bet. One, if your Raptors get up eight points in the first quarter, then, you know, I should probably be a two and a half point favorite, the Sixers. There's going to be the implication in the market pre-flop is that the Sixers will have a deficit and they're going to come back and win by two. That's what the market is saying with the first half in the game lines. I also think I can win where the Sixers just kick their butts the whole night like they've done the last two games and they keep this momentum. So I think there's two ways I can win this bet. Either I'm going to be 50-50 or I'm going to have a deficit to come back from, which is great for my second quarter bet. I think one of the things that might be a real positive for you is the fact that, let's just say they're like five deep on with their starting crew. You know, you can end up with Maxi going off the floor and coming out with the second. You can end up Harden going off the floor. I think that the the Philly second string lineup, you know, if, if that's the team that comes out in, in the second quarter, um, that they could clearly outplay Toronto – like you were saying, like there might be an energy dump with that team, but you know, you're down Barnes and, and Trent hasn't been healthy. You're already taking guys from the bench. 
putting them in the starting lineup and now you're taking like third string guys and trying to go ahead and get them, you know, out there with the second lineup. I mean, go through and look at what Philadelphia did to them uh, in the second quarter of the last game. Like I, I don't even think Toronto scored 20 points. So there's clearly a concern there. Something's wrong. And Philly ratcheted up and, you know, that's kind of where they took control of the game. So love the second quarter bet, you know, that you're giving out there as well. Uh, before we go ahead and jump into the last game here, McKenzie, we have the Bulls and the Bucks. I do want to go ahead and I want to let people know right now at pregame.com, we have an Andre Gomes beat Andre Gomes MLB contest. Uh, pregame's offering you a chance to go ahead and win up to $1,000 if you beat Andre Gomes record from last season. Uh, simply go to pregame.com, click on contest, find beat Andre Gomes MLB contest and see if you guys have the skill to win that contest. And while you're over there at pregame, uh, I actually asked pregame today, the pregame brass, I said, for our podcast listeners, can I go ahead and get a new coupon? They said, certainly. I said, how much you want? I said, 20%. So they went ahead. They gave me a coupon code PLAYOFF20. You guys can go ahead and save on any site purchase over there. You guys can go ahead and get McKenzie stuff. Uh, you can get Fezzik. Fezzik's red hot. McKenzie's doing well. Uh, I'm red hot. Anybody over there at pregame.com, any purchase, go ahead and type in PLAYOFF20. In the coupon code area, you guys will save a little bit of money. All right, with that said, let's go ahead and wrap this up, McKenzie. Last game here uh, on the Wednesday docket, we have the Bulls at the Bucks. Bucks right now 1-0 in the series. Bulls, they covered the first game. Books haven't adjusted the betting spread, though, McKenzie, from game one to game two. Bucks still minus 10. Uh, total has dropped. Total down to 225. I have a prop play in this one, McKenzie. I kind of want to go ahead and wait and hear what your thoughts are because I, I might I might not pull the trigger on this one unless I hear what your handicap is. If I like your handicap and uh, it all makes sense to to the prop that I have here, then I'll go ahead and fire away. What are you thinking about for the Bulls and Bucks game? The Bucks kind of did it again as far as coming into the playoffs with big expectations and then, you know, sleepwalking through much of the first game, which, you know, Mia Culpa gave out that play, Bucks first game minus 10. We always, that was our best bet, a pot ago uh, on the side. But I just don't think the Bucks showed up, and I think whatever it was, they got they had like what like twenty plus turnovers. It's just not the Bucks that we're accustomed to seeing. But but when they needed to, they're down five in the third quarter. I had no no doubt in my mind they were going to be able to uh, you know start playing well. Well, I think they start playing well out of the gate, and we've seen it with this Giannis Bucks team five and one in their last six game twos in the first round. Last three won easily. Last year against the Heat, they go to overtime right. Next game, 46-20 to 20 in the first quarter. That's the kind of performance I think we see early. That's why I like the Bucks first half. Minus six is my best bet in this game. And what kind of puts the icing on the top, I mentioned how good the Bucks have been in game twos after disappointing game one. Well, all season and last season, they've been a much better team in the first half. Second best team in the league net rating-wise in the first half this season. And the Bulls have been below average. They have slightly worse net rating than average on the on the season for every game. But in the first half, they're 18th in the league out of 30 teams. So I think I think you're isolating the best portion of the game for both sides. And I think the Bucks make a statement. I think the series kind of kind of feels like it ends late in this second quarter, where the Bulls realize that they're up against it and they don't have the ammo, they don't have the guard play to stick stick in it with this you know top four team in the league. You know, McKenzie, I think that the books would have adjusted this line had they actually thought that the Bulls were a better team than than what they showed in the first game. But the line's still 10. Like, there's no adjustment. The team that didn't look right was was clearly the Bucks. They played sloppy. They looked like they were out of sorts. Yeah, you said they slept walk, but 
I don't even know if they woke up and came there like the real Bucks team. They probably will show up here in the first half, probably in the first quarter. And I think they look they probably look to go ahead and run the Bulls out of the gym. And they they go out there and they're like, you know what, dude, like we're the champs. Like they didn't play like the champs. They play they look like they were in a playing game. I am sure the Bucks head coach was like, like, guys, what the hell was that? Like, we're lucky we even got a win against these guys. And I think that that's something that that I do really well. You know, some guys are, are stack guys. You know, McKenzie's a stack guy. Some guys are situational. You know, I like to mix in some conspiracy theory stuff with my handicapping. But occasionally, I have to go ahead and I have to stop. And I have to put myself in the player's shoes and, and maybe in the coach's shoes and, and kind of just digest everything that happened. And when I look at the box score of the game, and I'm the Bulls head coach, and I'm like, our center took 10 threes. He took more threes than 95% of the team except Zach Levine. Vukovic was, what was he, 9 nine for 25 in that game? Um, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to get it done. Their three-point shooter needs to be Zach Levine. I'm going to go ahead and play Zach Levine over 23.5 points. The Bulls last game, they shot just 32% from the floor and 19% from three. Levine's their three-point threat not the center Vukovic uh, gunning away, just shooting 10 threes in the game. I think the Bucks want to run with pace in this game, and the Bulls are going to have to go, and they're going to have to keep up with that pace. And I think one of the hardest guys for them to defend is probably Levine, who can beat you not only from the three-point line, but you know, he could beat you in the paint, he could beat you at the rim. So I think Levine probably is going to be the guy that the coach says, you know what, Like you need to be, be the guy taking the 25 shots. You need to be the guy that's out there shooting the threes, not with Kevin. You need to be on the inside, you know, stopping the honest and causing, you know, causing havoc down there. So I think that, you know, the Bulls approach from their offense is going to change here. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play that Zach Levine over 23 and a half. I like it. I don't love it. So I'm not sure what you think about that play there, McKenzie, but that's kind of the one play that I was looking at. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. And my basic handicap on this series was that, the Bulls are without a point guard, and since they've been without a point guard, they've gotten worse and worse as teams can kind of just uh, pincer them, especially with defenders like Drew Holiday. I mean, they only put up 86 points. I don't think that was a coincidence. You know, the Bulls are up against it, but how do they alleviate that? Well, if it's hard to get the ball to your score, then you have the sc- you have your score bring up the ball. And the Bucks they pack the paint. They make it very hard to, to score in the paint and score in the mid-range. So DeMar DeRozan... You know, he says I won't go six for twenty-one again, but he might have struggle to make that impact. And the Bucks, three of the last four years, have been dead last in opponent three pointers allowed per game, including this year, thirtieth in the NBA in a pointer opponent three pointers allowed. And it's very much intentional. Coach Bud's defense says, you know, inside out will make teams shoot top of the key threes, distant threes. And Zach Levine's the one guy on Chicago that not only can do that, but will have to do that, like you say, just to keep this team competitive. So that makes a lot of sense to me, man. That's a good pick in my opinion. I think if you know if the if the Bucks run out and, and they get a you know a decent sized lead and they and you know they ramp up the pace, um the one guy that they're gonna rely on they at least keep them in the game. You know, it's probably gonna end up being Levine, you know, the guy who's gonna be more than likely probably bringing the ball. I think there will be a fundamental change, you know, within the Bulls offense. So that'll wrap up episode 35 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Make sure you guys check us out at pregame.com and make sure you guys subscribe to all the podcasts here on RJ Bell's Dream Preview. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck for NBA Wednesday. Enjoy the games.